you're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, Chewy Side 55, Carlos Fonseca, Dave Smith, and Jeff Walton. Hey, guys. Morning time. Afternoon. It's morning here. Still drinking the coffee here, so. Well, thanks for jumping in, guys. Uh, Late notice here. We decided to do a quick podcast, uh, mainly about this first topic we want to bring up. And that is uh, iRacing has finally released the NASCAR iRacing series schedule for 2017. And I think this happened uh, Thursday, a couple days ago. And uh, I was out, I was going to work when it happened, and I didn't get to see a lot of it. But boy, reading the forums afterward, there was a lot of activity. Yeah, uh, it hit the fan when that came out. Uh, everybody is that the uh, everything the community was asking for, uh, they basically didn't get. They got like a complete opposite rendition of what uh hammer basically lobbied for the community for yeah so let's talk about what some of the proposed changes were that they they put out there early thursday i think the just of it was guess what we're gonna have races every two hours like 24 7 like all the other series in iRacing and i think that was the biggest change and then on top of that, the fixed, the NIS fixed basically goes away. Yeah, and you also had license levels. So if you wanted to do the NIS and the A car, you could only have an A license. Xfinity was B license and trucks were C license. I mean, oh. you couldn't you couldn't have the C guys up in the A in the A car running, and it would have just killed it. Yeah, if it weren't for participation, I should be all for that. But that'll kill participation. Having license levels, I think it needs to be an A car, A license anyway, but like I said, participation is more important. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, uh, you're in between a rock and a hard place getting the participation and then trying to do that while limiting the license. Uh, I, I'd like it to be limited to A, but for the sake of the, you know, the participation numbers, I, I think we need to have a, a broader range like to have it set up. Yeah, I think last night, uh, me and Scotty and Jamie, we were playing around an A Open last night going to do a race. And I think there was, on a Friday night, there was eight people registered to do a race. And we just, I mean, you can't race with eight people. Well, it was like 60 earlier. Yeah, this was like 11 o'clock at night, I guess. Oh, yeah, that brings a point, though, even. <laughs> like, if that was an IES with a... Uh... I don't know the current license level. That's like, we'd be seeing higher numbers no matter what time. But with that two hours deal, who's going to race all those? Oh man, that would have been a horrible mistake. Oh yeah, I would have quit. The and went community, to you know, banded together, and uh, you know, especially John Hammer and Matt Busa. Big shout out to both of them. They uh, they had a pretty big role in lobbying these changes to go back to our our old uh, schedule from last year every two hours i mean 
every two hours plus limiting the license, uh, good luck. Yeah, there would have been, been, been what, four or five people per race or something? You know, that's yeah, what we... Yeah, it would have been terrible. You know, and I did like the fact the community did post, a couple people posted about it in the forum. They said, okay, if this is the way it's going to be, then let's organize it and let's keep our times the same to where, okay, they still want to run every two hours. Okay, but we'll just start, you know, at 4 p.m. and 9 p.m., you know, trying to get the group back together so we would have people to run with. Yeah, I did try like to, that option. Yeah, try to organize what SLF race as like we used to. Yeah, exactly. And then they got rid of all the 100% races. Um, they took everything down to 50%, and then they're only going to have seven races, I think, for the iRacing championship, and that was going to be 100% races for seven. Yeah, so they split off the, the long races into basically its own series, right? And it was only going to be seven races long, which, again... I didn't like that at all because it kind of disassociates the Daytona 500 from NIS. Exactly. I mean, you know you're going to have drop-off through the whole season. Everyone races the Daytona 500, but halfway through the season, you know, we're not getting the 600 people registered anymore. Right. But this every two-hour thing is just, I don't know whose idea that was, but it wasn't very smart. That in the SOF races, uh, I think there would be a lot less accountability for people showing up. You know, with it being back to the old schedule system where you've got certain time slots, you either show up or you don't score points. Uh, that holds everybody more accountable to, to showing up, and it makes it more of a it makes it feel like a more special of an atmosphere. It's not just a you know like a a glorified a open race i mean so i'm happy they changed it back so let's talk about that a little bit um as you mentioned matt busa uh, actually started a change.org petition uh and was asking everybody to sign the petition i think we had 238 people sign it so far uh, i did i signed it yeah i did too and um you know for being a thursday morning during the middle of the week a lot of people were involved in making noise about this. Uh, the forums completely blew up. I think the post uh, where they announced the schedule quickly went to 10 plus pages, you know, and basically everybody, you know, trashing the idea. Yeah, and, and I, I believe uh, that I was going to say uh, right after that uh, in the afternoon, Matt Busa posted up that he ended up having a phone call with iRacing. And he had stated that they had agreed to switch it back to how the series was. And, and kudos to Matt for calling iRacing and, and talking to them. Yes. Well, I kind of like what iRacing did. Uh, yeah, it kind of fell apart at the beginning. But, you know, for, for anybody to iRacing listening... Uh, doing this as early as you did, putting it out a few weeks in advance, gave everybody an opportunity to look it over and say, whoa, we don't like this idea. I think it was great on both parts for iRacing to put it out early enough uh, for the community to see it, and it was also great for the community to be able to have enough time to respond to that so iRacing could adjust it. So, I mean, yeah, it didn't start out all that great, but 
at the end, you know, everybody came together for, for the greater good, and it worked out great for both parties, I think. Yeah. And by the next morning, uh, Kevin Bobbitt from iRacing updated his po uh, post, uh, basically announcing the schedule uh, to be much very similar to how it was previously. Um, you know, with five starts for fixed, four for open for the week. And I'm going to read the note that um, they wrote at the top. Uh, note from iRacing headquarters. Based on the feedback from the previous posted proposed changes, we've decided to revert back to a very similar schedule to 2016. Our goal was to increase overall participation in the series with the new changes. However, the community has spoken and we heard you. Ultimately, we want you, the members, to enjoy the service. So. Yeah. It was a. Uh, it was a good thing that, uh, you know, iRacing was able to, you know, take everybody's plea and, uh, and adjust it accordingly. You know, I, I know iRacing is kind of in a, in a box sometimes with the community because you got what they feel, you know, because they, they see the data that we don't. So they see things in a, in a different light than we do. So, I mean, I know it's tough to be them on day, certain days of the week. Well, I, my question is, they thought that moving it to a two-hour rotation would actually get more participation. And I have yet to see an actual iRacing member or driver, you know, back that up with some kind of realistic, yeah, this is how it could increase you know, no matter how I look at it, dice it, cut it, there's no way it would increase participation going to a two-year, a two-hour schedule. Um, what do you guys think about that? What were they thinking? Well, let, let's say that iRacing had a valid argument that every two hours was going to in, increase participation. Okay, fine. I think what they should have done if they wanted to make such a drastic change like that is they needed to present the facts that led them to that conclusion. I think maybe that would have uh, helped verify what they were trying to do, and it may have got the community on the same page, but without that data that they're looking at and coming to this conclusion, I, I don't think the community had a choice but to do what they did and, and lobby for it to go back to what it was last year. I almost feel the reason they were trying to do the two-hour stint every two hours was to try to ease some traffic off the servers or for when they release dirt later on because we know that it's going to blow up with dirt. We know people are going to be doing, there's going to be a lot of people getting into the dirt. There's going to be a lot of people doing NIS. And, you know, if you look at the 24 hours of, of Daytona, we had two server purchased that people had to fight through? I mean, are they looking at trying to ease the traffic on the servers knowing with the upcoming release of dirt? Good point. Well, I, if that was their end goal, I think they're, they're going about it the wrong way. Uh, you know, I think they need to fix the server side of things, not, uh, you know, keep changing up things on, on the racing side of, you know, because that's a, uh, that's like a, uh, oh, how's the saying go, uh, a temporary fix for a permanent problem? 
Right. You know, so, you know it's, it's that wouldn't have been the answer ultimately. So, I mean, if that's what they were doing, uh, I, I don't think it would would have been the right direction to go. And, and again, you know, I don't know what their server load is or anything like that. This is just me taking a guess. You know what I mean? Right. I don't want, yeah. I don't want people, you know, blowing up over over that comment. I just, you know, we just don't know. This is a guess. You know. So, you know, a typical NIS race in the past, what, 10 to 13 splits, 35 plus cars each, you know, we had some great participation going. And I think that was kind of the allure of the series, too, <clears throat> knowing that, hey, it, you know, it's going to get split 10, 13 times. I'm really going to be grouped with somebody in my local I rating. You know, I'm not, it's not going to be a bunch of high rating guys in there or low rating guys. You know, I'm 3,200. My split's going to be 3,100 to 3,400, you know, and I'm going to be really paired up with people of my level. And that was kind of one of the allures to this, uh, to this series because of the high participation and you get so many splits, you know, um, it leads to that kind of, you know, competitive, you know, splitting. Yeah, you know, you look at if they were to do the two-hour thing and say, um, I don't know, we'll throw somebody out there that's got a four thousand I rating, okay, and you've got ten people sign up for, let's say, a one o'clock in the morning race, and I sign up and I'm sitting at a thirteen hundred I rating. There's no way that I'm going to be competitive with somebody that's got a four thousand I rating. And exactly. It, it's not going to be fun for me. I'm just going to be riding around in the back, not being able to pass people and getting lapped. That's not what I want. I didn't sign up for that. Right. You could have Matt Busa signing up all day long for every two every two hours for the event, and nobody would have a chance because he's this real high-rating good driver, you know, and everyone else, you know, is running for second. Exactly. Well, let, me, let me throw something else out there that I don't know if many people have even thought of. It might have even slipped iRacing's mind. But going to back what you were stating, Mike, about having a bunch of splits and that you're going to more than likely be put in uh, your iRating class because there's so many people showing up. Well, another thing that comes benefits from that is if your iRating is always staying the same, you're constantly racing the same people week in and week out. Bingo. I saw that last year. So it even felt like a NASCAR environment because you were always racing the same people. You know, yeah, there was some people that fluctuated up and down in I rating, but you got to see a lot of uh, familiar faces every week. And I kind of enjoyed that. This every two hour thing would have tore that to shreds. Right. It almost feels like a league after you get halfway through the season because you've seen yeah, the same exactly. people. You know how do they race. You know, oh, I can race this guy, but I can't race this guy, you know. Yeah, yeah you can and anticipate. it works out great that way. Yeah, you can anticipate what the other driver is going to do because you have track time and laps with that other driver. Right. Yeah, I just don't understand the whole two-hour idea. And I mean, I'm wondering whose idea is this? Uh, it's real easy to say, oh, it must be Tyler Hudson. He's the new guy there. But I'm not going to blame anybody specific. But boy, somebody really uh, laid an egg on this one. Yeah, they uh, they laid the egg, but uh, thankfully for for all involved, it didn't hatch. 
Right. Well, and that's the good thing about this whole story was iRacing responded to us. They didn't just blow us off and say, hey, it is what it is, you know. Um, they listened to what people said, and they, you know, responded accordingly. So kudos for them to, to do that. They didn't have to do that, but I'm glad they did. Well, the skinny and the short of it is the community pays their bills. There you go. Well, and the other thing I was thinking Thursday when all this was happening was there's something else that people aren't really considering when they try to make changes like this, and that's the historical nature of this from year to year to year. Okay, we've been doing NIS for, what, three or four years now? Yep. This is maybe the fifth year coming on, I think, and it's been roughly the same, you know, from year to year to year. And... I think there's a value in in that where you can look back and say, you know what, I finished twentieth in division, you know, in overall standings uh, in 2014. You know, I'm going to try to top that next year. Well, if they switch it to a two year, uh, two hour, you know, cycle, all those stats go out the window. You know, you'll never be able to compare. Right. Uh, another thing that comes with the uh, the two hour uh, running is. I don't know if the quality of racing would be there. Honestly, uh, people would be more apt to take chances because they've got you know more than one or two opportunities a week, depending on their schedule. You know, I, I think you'd see a lot more throwing caution to the wind, which would just make for awful racing. Well, yeah, and so let's talk about that a little bit. If you're on the two-hour schedule, that means you can do as many starts as you want in a week. And then it would be, uh, you know, your best, like if you did four starts, it would be your best finish out of those four starts. If you did eight starts, it would be the average of your two best finishes, like it is in, during a normal 12-week uh, type of season, you know, in a different car. And so you're right. People would be like, oh, you know, if I wreck, I wreck. I can just start the next one in two hours, you know. And then yep. you got the whole points thing. Look at somebody that's working, let's say, a 12-hour day versus somebody who has days off or, you know, doesn't have to go to work. Well, then now you're looking at somebody that can just sit in the computer and every four hours they're, they're signing up for a race and getting points. I didn't see in the new season that they posted up, I didn't see where they did an average anymore. I thought it was going back to like they have it A open, A, B, and C or you run as many races as you want, and you get to keep the points that you get. Oh, no, uh, Jeff. They uh, they average for every single 12-week uh, race they have available. Uh, the the averaging is just a – it's a constant for every series, yep. no matter where you go. If you do yeah. four starts in a week, they take your best finish. If you do eight starts, they'll take your best two and average them. Yeah, and so I, forth. So if you did 12, they would take your best three and average them. So although it wasn't stated that they would average the points, it's pretty much uh, I think that's a known a given. fact. Yeah, because uh, that's basically the standard right now. Uh, I mean, if they wanted to go and, and change stuff up, maybe they could have looked at uh, how to do the points differently. But, you know, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. But, yeah, but that would have been something else for them to consider other than changing... Uh, the way it's ran. 
Well, and Jeff's right. For that one, a guy who works 12 hours a day and he only gets one start in the week for NIS, is it fair to him that everybody else gets to start every two hours, you know, and take their best finish? Well, even if you compare it to uh, last year's NIS, if Jeff can only make one start, it's still not fair. I mean, either way you slice it, that's not fair. So, I mean, honestly, the only way that you could make it fair with the current point standings is one race per week with the current point structure. Yeah, and I think the community has done done good on a, you know finding that compromise in previous years where right now we have four starts a week in the open, five in the fixed. That's a good compromise to that. You know, hey, it's not every two hours. There are enough time slots to accommodate people in different time zones. You know, Europe's got a time zone. There's several, you know, uh, friendly time zones uh, available for the United States drivers. And so you can kind of pick and choose which, you know, one are you going to do based on your work schedule, you know? Yeah. And that one thing about them getting rid of the fixed and, you know, they, they brought it back. Thank gosh they did was I actually like the fixed series because everyone has the same setup. It's kind of like the, the old IROC series. You know, it's all up to the driver. Everyone's got the same setup. It's up to the driver to make it work and, you know, save your car, save your tires, whatever you got to do. It's you and, you know, 30 other people on the track and everyone's got the same setup and just run the best you can run. Yeah, there's a lot of guys out there that run NIS fixed because they don't have a team. They don't they don't know how to make setups. Uh and, and so that's their option. Hey, they want to run NASCAR, but I don't know anything about shocks and springs and ride height and all that. So I'm just not going to be competitive in the open series. So, hey, I'll run the NASCAR iRacing series fixed, you know. And and then there's people like, like us who run both, you know. And I think for a lot of us on our team, it's more about, hey, let's get some seat time in the fixed, you know, so we're good in the open kind of thing. Yeah, I uh, I agree that they they brought the fix back. It, you know, it it gives everybody a fair opportunity. You know, the people that don't have setup knowledge or don't have the time, it, it still gives them the opportunity to participate on on this kind of level. Um, I, I will say to anybody that does only fixed, um, I encourage you to take the fixed setup and and go and start. Uh, playing with some stuff and on the open side uh, there's plenty of documentation on the forums and uh, start playing with the setup and tweaking it to your to your liking and getting into the open side of things and after you start working on a setup and you get it to drive in the way that you want it to uh, it's it's a totally different kind of race for you I encourage everybody to to uh, to give it their best and and work on getting better at open racing Yep. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about <clears throat> where they landed with the schedule. Uh, part of that is there's going to be four full-length uh, races, 100%. And those will be Daytona, Charlotte, Indianapolis, and the Fall Ta Talladega. And big kudos from me, Mr. Mike Ellis, to iRacing for limiting this to the big four, you know, and not putting up 15 100% races. Uh, that was just ridiculous in the past. Well, 
I will agree and I will disagree. I kind of liked going into Homestead and that being a full-length race. I wish they could have added Homestead. I think that's my only gripe. I know some people were looking for Darlington, but, you know, uh, being the last race of the season, you know, getting the best out of it one last time, I kind of liked Homestead being a full-length race, personally. Switch it with Deegan, I'd be happy. I would have been okay with five or six, like you said, if they added, you know, Southern 500 and Homestead Ford 400, I'd be okay with six, but it was just when there was 15. I mean, Carlos, you remember we were going, there were weeks where there were two or three weeks in a row with, with hundred percent distances. Oh yeah. Uh, I, I like the hundred percent distant races. Um, like I, I wish Bristol would have be a hundred percent. Uh, Richmond would be a hundred percent. The short tracks. I mean, that's a rate of uh, what do they call it, nutrition, I guess, or um, you know, at Bristol, five hundred laps. Let's go. See, now I didn't mind uh, all of the full length races. Uh, I didn't like Bristol, but that's just from a personal standpoint because I uh, I don't really do well there, but. I didn't really mind the uh, the full length races. I, I liked it, uh, you know, a couple times throughout the season, uh, where strategy played a bigger factor than normal. I enjoyed that. Yep. Uh, okay. Both uh, NIS will be oval class C or higher. So we talked about that a little bit. It kind of drives participation if you can get some C and B drivers in there that don't quite have their A or maybe they lost their A, but they can still race, and that drives participation. So I'm okay with that. Well, they work on their rating. I mean, if they're really a good, clean driver, they're doing the NIS all season long. They're gonna If they go from – if they start at a C, by the time they get done at the end of the season, they can go up to an A-class you know, and be an A-class driver. So I, I kind of like it. It gives their, you know, those guys that are down lower to, it gives them an opportunity to get their their license up over the hump. Let's look at it like this: if they would have done what they had thought about doing with the A class, only being able to have a license, and you get the people in there that don't care because hey, I'm gonna start another race in two hours, so I don't care. I'm just gonna go records or checkers. I'm gonna bring home a checker flag or the steering wheel. And say somebody else is on the edge or on the cusp of losing their A license. Well, what happens if they lose their A license? Now they can't be running the NISA open anymore if they would have had it the way that originally they thought about doing it. So that's why I'm glad that they went back. That would have killed participation. I mean, look at Mike, what would you have done if you you end up losing your A license because you got people in there that just want to win and don't care? And won't settle for second or third, you know, and you lose your A license. Now, how long do you have to wait until you're able to get your A license back? Right. Yeah, that would have been a a, a bit of a problem as well. I mean, it kind of is like a knockout qualifying format almost, looking at it in that perspective. And uh, I, I don't like it, you know. Uh, because there's a lot of times where you're the victim of somebody else's mess, you know, especially late in the going, uh, you know, when we get those last four or five restarts where everybody, you know, keeps on 
going for it harder than they have all race long and they keep on stacking them back up to try it again it doesn't take but a few races for that to knock you out of a an a-class license i mean we've all and been in that race where they somebody spins oh, their yeah. tires on a late restart and takes out the field you know yeah exactly i mean you could be the points leader in your division and going into martinsville you know the the fall martinsville race and get bumped and beat around lose your a license and then you've got a scratch and claw to get your a license back and if you don't get it back by the the time that the the next week starts and you miss that week trying to get your a license back well then you've missed a race you know and when you're getting down to the end there I mean, yeah you've got your drop weeks but that's kind of when you want them to have your best results is during the drop week period yep all right let's talk schedule uh basically it follows the real world monster energy nascar cup series schedule when they have an off week, we have an off week. So that's all the same. Start times for the actual racing is all the same as it was last year. Like, for example, the first open race is Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern, just like always. And then there's obviously one on Friday as well. And so that's all the same. Uh, they did announce also um, the Class B NASCAR series uh, that will follow the Xfinity series cars. Uh, that'll run through November. Now, they are going to fill in races on the off weeks for the NASCAR Xfinity and Camping World Truck Series uh, events because they have two, so many off weeks. But that is going to be um, every two hours for those. So, so those, I don't care about those because I don't run those, but um, what do you guys think about the, the Class B and the Class C series they have announced that will run every two hours? Like it is now. Yeah, no change, huh? Pretty much just, I don't know, it depends on what day you're racing. You'll have certain participation. How is participation in those? Because I don't think I've even run them. Well, fixed is okay with the open side of things. I don't know about that. And again, I don't know, I think Scotty's the only one we can ask about that. He runs those all the time. So, field size, 37 cars. You guys talking about the A open? No, what, I mean, what I'm talking about is, uh, Jeff, when they announced... The revised NIS schedule they also announced in that same post the class B NASCAR series using the Xfinity series cars will have a February to, to November series that follows the real world schedule but it runs every two hours like it does now right I mean at times you catch it where you're 60 people in there So, 37 cars uh, to start the race. Uh, that's up from last year. I don't think they, we got to the 40 that we wanted, though. You really want 40? Looking well, at the Pro the, Series. What's the difference between 37 and 40? Come on. Right, I agree. Yep. But still, I think they landed on a decent number. But why 37? Why not 38? The odd number is driving me insane. 
Well, well, that's twelve sets of tires difference. When you're thinking about uh, dynamic track, that's twelve sets of tires you're missing from ru uh, rubbering in the track over the uh, period of a run. I mean, yep. when you look at it from that aspect, it does add up. Yeah, Thursday morning when they initially announced, I think it was the field size was thirty-five, and I think part of that conversation with maybe Matt Busa uh, on changing everything back they said you know he indicated i'm sure hey we wanted 40 cars so they met him in the middle is my guess and that's where 37 came with came up with i mean I, i'm happy i'll settle for 37 I, I you know we didn't get the 40 like it was pulled to be but uh you know i racing medicine in the middle like you said so i'll roll with that okay so final thought on this Let's talk about Mr. John Hammer, who I did invite to the podcast today. He did decline based on he didn't really want to say anything out of line because he was personally involved in trying to get uh, some changes and, you know, going for this series. And it seems like he pretty much got rebuffed on this whole situation. Yeah, I was I was a little disappointed to. To see that for John, I know he put a, uh, you know, a lot of time and effort into, you know, trying to rally everybody together and, and get a, uh, a great series and uh, get everybody involved in the, uh, this, the uh, decisions for that series. And it just kind of, for the most part, I guess, went un, unnoticed or, or anything like that. So I, I understand his frustration. But uh, it doesn't go without saying that, you know, a lot of us appreciate all of his effort nonetheless, and it didn't go unseen. Yeah. So uh, maybe, you know, what John did maybe set some of the framework for some of the changes we saw, like the lower amount of 100% races, the increase in the amount of starts, uh, cars that are starting a race. And so I think that, you know, what he did wasn't all in vain, hopefully, and it led to some of those decisions. Um, but for them just to come out with this schedule, say, oh, we're going to run it every two hours and screw all, you know, that was a real slap in the face, not only to John Hammer, but I think the community in general, because nobody in the world was asking for that. Yeah, that was definitely out of left field. Yeah, and again, John, Mr. Hammer, I appreciate you trying to make a change. I think that's, you know, you wanted something different. The community with the votes and the polls wanted something different, and you tried to make it happen. God bless him for that. Yep. So don't give up is my comment there. All right, let's move on. Uh, I think we beat that one like a dead horse. Uh, Jeff, what's next? How much money to get started in iRacing? Um, Doug asked, he said, I got a bunch of old cart uh, racers I want to do iRacing, but afraid it costs too much. So how much money do you need to go iRacing? And uh, Adam commented back, said, uh, on the absolute cheap, you're looking at $500 for a computer, $200 for a wheel and a pedal set, and 50 bucks a year for iRacing. Um, me personally, I... You know, that's roughly about what I have invested. Yeah, I think that's a starting kind of place. 
I think everyone does it differently. I mean, I personally, the first year or two, I spent a lot on hardware. But now that I have everything, I'm not spending. You know, the only thing I'm spending is my iRacing renewal. You know, I can't remember the last time I bought something hardware related for my rig. So I think once you have everything, you know, the, the, the price fluctuates. It depends on if you have the hardware or not. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, my personal budget doesn't allow me to go out and go buy triples and the top of the line, all that. I, I just have something that keeps me competitive. I think the wheel I bought off of somebody for $20 and I include shipping to the house. So, I mean, and I have fun. It, you know, it all depends on what you're looking to get out of it. Yeah, well, I and think you can go in stages. Offers, I think for what iRacing offers, you know, they're as realistic as you're going to get. So, I mean, yeah, it's a little bit more pricier than some of the other games that you have. But I think it's well worth it. The, the return you get out of it is immense. Oh, yeah. Like, when I first started iRacing... I had a laptop, I had a regular desk and a desk chair, and now I had that stuff. I didn't have to buy it, I already had it. So all I had to buy was the subscription itself and a G27. And so once I got that G27, that was 250 bucks or something, got the subscription with iRacing, I was off and running, you know, I was racing. And so you can start fairly economical, usually with a lot of stuff you already have maybe just buy the wheel you know yeah my first computer when i ran when i got iRacing um it didn't have a graphics card i had to turn all the graphics down and i finally went out and bought a new laptop with a graphics card and you know i use it for work and uh last year i started where i could actually start racing and actually see the grandstands and the fans in the stands and pit road stuff you know and it, to me it's fun you know it's you know, if you don't have the money, you can run. You got to turn the graphics down. You know, just make sure you get a computer that can handle iRacing. And with that being said, just another friendly reminder. If you're not running DX11 yet, you need to start working towards that uh, as your end goal. Because who knows when they're going to pull the plug on, on the X9. So if you're not on 11 yet, you need to start uh, looking at that you know we got tax season in full swing right now if you need something to run dx11 now's the time it's not going to be here much longer yeah we actually have a story later uh in the script here about that but basically they did announce uh the march build is when they're pulling the plug oh my apologies i didn't see that yeah and uh they're also pulling the plug on mac os and linux and they're pulling the plug on 32-bit windows and DX9. So if you're in any of those situations, you better do something, just like Dave said. And my personal belief with the Linux, it won't be long before somebody changes that. There's the Linux guys, you know, they'll end up getting it fixed where you will be able to run iRacing eventually on Linux again, I believe. Well, you know, I guess that's all fine and dandy. I think uh, from iRacing standpoint, they didn't see it was necessary to... Uh, to keep putting the resources into doing that. So, I mean, if somebody else out there can can make the Windows version of iRacing run on Linux just fine, uh, you know, more power to them, and 
and good luck. I just don't think they uh, felt the need to continue putting those kind of resources into it. So to button up this topic on how much money does it cost to get involved, let's take uh, one of our teammates, Scotty Rainshield, as an example. Now, Scotty's kind of taking it to the extreme. He's, you know, fairly new to iRacing, and he's got some excellent equipment. And he's really been building it up. And so you can drop some pretty penny on this stuff if you want to. Oh, for sure. I mean, I uh, I got my setup. I got some more gear coming here in a, a couple weeks. But I, uh, I didn't get everything I got overnight. So, I mean, even if you start out with a, a real cheap wheel or in a single screen, you know, over time, you can build upon that. You know, get out of your desk and you, you get into a rig, you get triple monitors, you upgrade your wheel. You, you do it over time. It's not something that has to be done all at once right now. You, you go at whatever pace you can go at. Yeah, like uh, this year, I plan on our teammate Kyle. I plan on buying his old computer off of him. I plan on building a a rig, and uh, I plan on getting triples. Hopefully by the end of the year. But you know, this is I've had this set up now for two years, and I'm looking to go to the next level. So you know, again, when you're starting, you don't have to get top of the line. Yep. I didn't. Yeah, I started on an old laptop at a sitting at a desk. All right, let's move on. Next topic, uh, Commodore's Garage. They have another article out on iRacing.com, and uh, this one talks about weight transfer, aerodynamics, uh, spring changes, bump stop, uh, introduction to bump stops. This is a great tool, guys. Every couple weeks, they put out an article, um, and it's got some good stuff. If you're trying to learn setups, this is definitely a must-read. I actually didn't know this stuff existed until just today. Yeah, me too. Well, yeah, they don't promote it a lot, but they do put out these articles. I think this is, uh, well, this is the 17th one so far. And um, you can go back and find these. I, I don't know where exactly they are, but they're on iRacing.com. Uh, search Commodore's Garage. It is a public kind of website. It's not like hidden behind the forum wall. But good stuff. I've read these before, and they're usually over my head because I'm not really a setup guy. But, hey, uh, I can definitely see how this could teach you. And I, and I read them, you know, just hoping that some of it will rub off. But um, there's some good information here. Okay. Oh, so, looks like we've got our homework now, The uh, Dave. Yeah. Huh, homework assigned. There's actually two articles out right now, the 17th and 18th. The 18th is actual uh, detail on a uh, detailed write-up on bump stops. If you can make bump stops work, you've got a huge advantage. Yeah. So homework is assigned. <laughs> All right, what's next, uh, Jeff? Uh, we've got the, uh, I believe it's the rule about multiple people using one account. 
Yeah, there was a thread on this. It actually got deleted. I'm not sure yeah. why, but... Um, this one says the intent of the rule is to let you know all accounts are single-user licensed accounts. All members are to use their own accounts at all times. Members are not allowed any non-member to race on their accounts in any iRacing sanctioned event. If you would like to share in a test session or private host session, that would be fine, allowing your account to be used by others, members or not. In the 24 hours, in the 24 hours is a violation of the terms of service. Hidden deep in the thread, started about halfway through the race, Michael Peters was called out for allowing several drivers to run at the same location under only two accounts. This was at a high-end facility in Indianapolis, and a team of drivers included several real-world pro drivers. One of the drivers was overly aggressive and wrecked several cars before being pulled. There, there were video accounts linked below of the incidents shared in the thread that showed this aggression. There was definitely some anger from the other competitors. And Michael was extremely apologetic and offered that iRacing was aware that they were doing and never said that they were against it. He also stated that the driver in question was not allowed to re-enter the car for the rest of the race. Well, I mean, there's a reason you sign up at, with your real name. And when you go into a race, it shows Mike Ellis. You know, you're representing yourself out there and you end up with a reputation. And... If you're sharing accounts amongst a bunch of people, do you you don't know who you're racing, right? I mean, it really comes down to that. Well, I think uh, it's a double-edged sword. It's almost uh, to the point where maybe iRacing needs to look into a team account type scenario. And I tell you why. Because some of these guys, you know, the the one guy out of the group has this awesome rig and he says hey guys come on over for the 24-hour race and they all share the same rig uh i you know i think it would be um good for iRacing to look at maybe implementing some sort of team account to where you could allow something like that to happen so people that do host these uh, groups for the endurance races, uh, they can all get together and by iRacing's sanctioning rules, be able to do so. That makes right. sense. Like a soft name change. You go to a driver change, it, it literally changes your name you know, within the race right. and, and it's all smooth. Right now, if you were to use the same rig, under the current rules, you'd have to literally close out of the sim completely, sign in as a different user, and relaunch the sim. Yep, that is correct. I think if they had a, a team account option to where uh, you could verify that the other driver has a, a paid subscription and owns the content required for that race, that they have it worked into where when they change the driver, the driver clicks on his name to get in the car and away you go or, or something to that extent you know i mean i know there's probably not a lot of people that share the same rig for endurance races but i i know there are people out there that do it and i think an option to allow that per iRacing's terms of service would be be a nice feature yep okay next up We've talked about it before the international sim racing federation also known as isrf 
another update from them, uh, basically saying, hey, we're not ready yet. There's some final hurdles to finalize bef before the first board is formed and the Federation can start implementing its statutes. And so um, the election phase has been delayed, but they have opened up the application process once again. And they're looking for people to join the Federation. And I know John Hammer had said uh, in a previous podcast that he had applied uh, for this Federation. So I don't know what this is all about. We'll have to you know, wait until the rubber meets the road, so to speak, and see if they actually do anything. You know, so far, I think it's only been a really just a website with a few letters on a website, you know, a couple of articles about it. And there's really been no other action besides that. So it sounds like it's still uh, trying to get off the ground floor. This is the first I've, I've heard of it myself. Yeah, there's been a couple releases we've read on the podcast o over the last uh, months about this, but really this is not really an update besides they're looking for help and you can apply. All right, Jeff, what's next? Um, protesting's not working. Um, it, but eventually, I guess now it is working from what I'm reading on the forums. Uh, a bunch of people said they had to try to file protests and it wouldn't work. And uh, the gentleman's name, Kevin, I believe, Kevin Bobbitt. Um, he, I guess he's a staff member and uh, so that they would have it fixed in the next day or so. And now it's fixed from my understanding on the form. So. Yep. So that's not the first time that's quit working. But um... Well, I'll have to go give it a test. I've got a uh, pending protest for uh, intentional wrecking and I was having problems getting that filed. And So maybe they do got that fixed and I can get that protest out. There you go. And I believe it says you have seven days to file a protest from when the incident actually occurred. Well, I think the uh, seven days is going to be null and void here. If it, uh, there was a problem on iRacing's end, and that kind of gives me a problem falling within that seven-day grace period. I don't know. We'll see. I think I might still be within the seven-day grace period there, but uh, I'll submit it anyways. I think it's enough to be still looked at, regardless um, if it's nine days past grace period. Oh, I'm sure you posted, you tried to send it earlier, and you couldn't get through. I'm sure they'll definitely look at it. Yeah. Yeah, based on the fact that it didn't work for a while, huh? All right, next up, uh, Ferrari update. Uh, there was a forum post asking for an update on the the Ferrari that they announced uh, not too long ago. Um, but basically, we did get a quote from the man himself, Tony Gardner, uh, who's in charge over there at iRacing. He says, the Ferrari car is in full production. However, it will not be in the March build. So they're working on it, but uh, it'll be out soon, but not in the next build. I'm happy that they've got Ferrari, I'm, it's going to be a great addition, but uh, boy, I'd like to see a, an LMP1 announcement. That would uh, that'd be great. 
I think they're focused on dirt, but uh, we'll see. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Jeff, what's next? Uh, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye to 32-bit on March 14, 2016 is the date, guys. No more. They're going to be switching to 64-bit. And then uh, I imagine that same day is when they're going to get rid of uh, Direct X9. You're going to have to go to uh, DX11. And then again, say goodbye to Mac and Linux on uh, March 14th. Yep. So we finally have a hard limit here. Uh, Tony Gardner posted up on several forums, actually, uh, this information just to get it out there. But when you say 32-bit, 64-bit, I'm going to clarify for people. That means your Microsoft Windows. So if you go to your, if you're on Windows and you go to start, uh, you know, right click on my computer properties, you'll see right there 64-bit operating system as a system type. So look for your processor, you'll see RAM, and then you'll see 64-bit right there below it. So if yours says 32-bit, guess what? In Come March, it's not going to work. And before everybody throws their hands up and says, oh, iRacing's driving away customers, uh, this has to happen. Uh, we've all got to get on the same playing field here, and this is going to bring us a brighter future. It's going to allow them to finally work on the day and night transition because it's all on one single platform, and uh, maybe someday down the road it will help uh, induce weather effects but this has got to happen for for those steps to take place later down the road and it's not like this is new news they've been saying this for almost two years that this was coming right and we, we've been putting it out on our podcast you know as it's been you know coming out with this information we keep on you know giving everybody the heads up you know hey if you haven't yet, which you should have, you need to start taking a long, hard look at this stuff. Yeah, and part, I'll talk a little bit about reasoning. The 32-bit windows basically limits how much RAM is available. And when you move to a 64-bit windows, it makes more RAM available uh, by default. And that's necessary for DX11 to work. So it is kind of tied together. Um, you can't run DX11 really on a 32-bit windows. And so they're kind of tied together. I was a little surprised that they announced that Mac and Linux is going away. I don't think there's been a lot of communication about that, but apparently it's time to pull the plug there too. Well, I think a lot of that has to stem from, uh, one, if they can get it running across one single platform, they don't have to spend as much time you know, trying to roll it out for multiple platforms. But it also makes it easier for them because they're able to roll out everything on the same plane. And, you know, so that, that, that's going to cut man hours. Yeah, because right and now they're... Which should increase our build quality substantially. Right. They're, when they put out a release right now, they have to put out two releases, one for DX9 and one for DX11. Right. And then they have to do do the, the releases for the... The three different operating systems and whatever coding has to be done on, on that side of things so this is going to lighten their workload tremendously on the builds it's just going to make it so 
everybody gets the same thing all at once. And and like I said, I, I think this will improve the quality of our builds uh, because of it. Yep. Yep. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. You know, Windows 64-bit will be the platform. That's it. That's the only option you're going to have. Okay. And if you're on 64-bit Windows, guess what? DX11 is going to work. All right, moving on. Uh, next up is more news about dirt. Well, I don't know if it's news, but uh, they're definitely you know promoting it that it's coming soon. Uh, they put out a really nice high-resolution uh, photo of Eldora with the uh, NASCAR Camping World trucks uh, running on it, and uh, those trucks, half of them are half sideways, you know, going through the corners. Uh, you can see all the little ruts and and little pebbles of dirt, you know, down on the track. And boy, it looks awesome. I'm going to be the nitpicker of this photo. I'm sure there's other people that have noticed. Uh, I know this photo is not indicative of the finished product, but I did notice that in this picture that they don't have the little plexiglass uh, wing on the hood of the truck like they ran in the uh, the race uh, to encourage that left front downforce. I don't know if that's something they're looking into doing, if it's going to be done, or um, if it's not going to happen at all. But I did notice that. That was one of the, the first things I noticed when I saw that picture. I thought that was to keep the mud off the window. It is. Is it? Yeah, it's a, like a like a bug blocker, like you see the big rigs have and all that. So when stuff comes, especially like, you know, if you're driving in snow, whatever, it's the best way I can experience. You got snow coming and you're running like 40, 50 mile an hour. It creates an upward draft uh, to push the snow above your windshield. It streamlines everything. See, I didn't know that. I thought it was there uh, from an arrow standpoint to help plant the, the left front. So it shows how much I, I know. And then also, uh, recently, Ray Alfala uh, took to Twitter, our uh, champion uh, from the Peak Series, and he was uh, put up a video on Twitter of him racing a 360 winged sprint. And if you uh, listen to him, he never lifts. And you can see the wheel. What's interesting is watching him manipulate the wheel and how it's he's sawing that baby back and forth, back and forth, you know. Oh, yeah, Cowboy Alfala was up on the wheel. Yeah, he's wearing a cowboy hat, a straw cowboy hat. Uh, somebody had mentioned on Twitter, hey, is the straw hat required to drive this? <laughs> well, yes, it is. I, I got a good kick out of that myself. Um, uh, there is one thing we do need to say about dirt. And I've read it, and I, it was confirmed by somebody else. Um, they said that once the alpha testing has gone through and the beta testing has gone through and they're ready to roll with it, they will not wait for a season update. They will enroll, they will roll it in before a season update is ready as long as the dirt is ready. So, you know, if it could be before March, it could be after March, but the way it's looking is at any time soon, we will have dirt and they will not wait for the season update. They'll actually update it before the season. That's a little surprising. Sense. Not really. 
it makes total sense, and I'll tell you why. Because they're putting all of this, these resources into dirt, uh, time and money to you know travel, to do you know the the sound and the, the scanning, all of that. They're putting all of this in, and they're not yet to have gotten a return on it. So the sooner they can get it out, and and start getting a return on it, the the sooner that they can start putting that return investment back into evolving it furthermore so it's not actually too surprising that they roll it out prior to a season build and from my understanding the first rollout will be the limited late models i think it'll be street stocks but they will not have the the sprint cars so the only thing you're gonna have would be again from my understanding will be the limited late models and street stocks and then those will actually be series and they're waiting to see how they turn out before they roll out the big wing sprint cars, which makes smart. If I had to guess, being that that picture that we're looking at is the trucks on dirt at Eldora, I'd have to guess that there's a possibility. Uh, this is just me guessing, but they will also have the uh, trucks dirt ready as well. Yeah, so uh, the car already exists. Why not? You know, right? And from what I can see in that picture, it looks like it has a updated uh, tire uh, on it for dirt. I mean, you can't really see the tires all that well, but, but from what I can see on that left front, it does look like a dirt tire. Nice. All right, Jeff. What's next? Uh, we're gonna. Mark Tippery wrote, Goodbye, iRacing. I'm here to say goodbye to the friends I've made and the sim I love. My wife says that I'm on the site every hour of the day and she cannot stand it anymore. Well, we argued and she told me to choose between her and iRacing. Therefore, I'm going to be offline for a couple of hours while I pack her luggage and call her a cab. I'll be right back. <laughs> well, that's funny, but it kind of leads to a story of iRacing Widows. Uh, how many of you out there have had a similar situation? Well, I do catch uh, a bit of heat every now and again for spending a little too much time behind the wheel or spending a little too much money for the wheel. But uh, for the most part, she's understanding and and we get, get by just fine. Yeah, same here. I think when, when those kind of questions come up, I just start talking about well, boy, you know, if I had a different hobby, it'd be a lot more expensive, you know, if I was racing real cars. Right, yeah. Well, if you want me to go buy the RV camper so we can both go out racing every weekend, then I can sell all my, my simulation gear, and, and we can go do that and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on a race car every year. No, 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 you just go back to your room and drive your virtual race car, she'll say. <laughs> that's exactly how it goes anyway that was kind of funny uh next up, i got a kick out of that you have kind of a neat story uh next up uh manuel rodriguez from uh well i don't know where he's from he put together an excel file that is an iRacing fuel calculator and it's on the forum search iRacing fuel calculator and uh, basically, you type in how many laps 
and then it does all the math for you, basically. I get it, but it'd be a little... I mean, as long as you used it in advance, if you go through and you do all of your calculations uh, prior to a race starting, then it'll work. Yeah, you'd have to know what your mileage per lap is to be able to use this. Right, there's a little bit of work on the front end to, to make it work. Uh, it's not something that you'd be able to use live in race like some of these other applications uh, provide you with is the live information for your fuel. Um, so you, you have to put in a little bit of work on the front end for for that to benefit you at all. It's not a, a live calculator that you can use while in race. Right. And I, I think it's more of like, hey, before the race, I want to understand when am I going to pit? You know, when is my pit window open? That kind of thing. Uh, I think that's really what it, what's behind it. I would personally probably not use this, but uh, there were some people on the forums that said, hey, this looks pretty cool. So I don't think it matters everyone back to read 20 laps anyway. Well, yeah, for me personally, I wouldn't use it either because I'm spoiled by I'm not I'm not going to put any names out there and, and do any advertising like that. But there's other programs out there and I use one that spoils me uh, to giving me that live information. But for somebody that doesn't have a live feed of information and needs something to calculate fuel, uh, you know, it's not a bad tool to have. You know, it's something to, to get in there and, and, and get it figured out. Yep. Yeah, if you don't pay for those third-party tools, you know, this is a free option, you know. Right, exactly. And from what I can see, it was, it was very well done. All right, Jeff, what's next? I buzzer. Um, Mike Prodis wrote on 3-13-2016, help us improve iBuzzer over the last 18 months. The stability of the older versions of iBuzzer has been an issue. Um, and then you've got Michael wrote on 2-4 that what's the status of the iBuzzer? The latest version I found is 3.0. 0.6 after using it for three eight fixed races i can say that didn't crash at all and then we have another problem with jason here wrote that if you go to the website it says that it has been discontinued but it seems to be more stable than ever since it was discontinued and that he's paid for registration and unfortunately it doesn't work and he said after i think a couple races that he can no longer use it so i, I don't know exactly what's going on with the iBuzzer um, I, you know, I hope that, you know, they'll bring it back up to the people that paid money for it. I, I just don't know. And I don't use it. So. I used to use it until it pretty much quit working, <laughs> but I think Jose and I were using it. Actually, it has a great feature where it counts you down to your pit stall. It'll say you're 10 away, five away, you know, or something like that. And it gives you that verbal countdown to your pit stall and i and it does a lot of different things but that's what i was using it for and i think i probably quit using it sometime last spring because it would just crash all the time it just was not reliable and so at, at some point i just quit using it i think all of us did uh what this post is is basically a couple people asking about it again 
and it just basically resurfaced the post from more than a year ago. And it looks like it just pretty much, you know, discontinued as somebody stated. So just wanted to point out, uh, hey, if you see this post, don't go out and buy this thing because it's really not supported at the moment. Yeah, uh, there's two things I want to make mention of. Uh, first of all, it looks like it was uh, it was great, and they got some money out of it, and that was basically the gist of it. Uh, I don't know why they quit supporting it. It's uh, it's a little disappointing because uh, I, I paid for it myself. Uh, it was great for what it was, but for whatever odd reason, uh, hopefully not due to health issues, but for whatever reason, uh, they just stopped working on it. The other thing I want to make note of is I want to correct myself on the piece of plexiglass on the front of the truck. I was not zoomed in on the picture, and they actually do have that piece of plexiglass on the well, there you go. of the truck. So I just want I stand corrected. Yeah, they did put a high res picture out, so you can zoom in on it. Yeah, I missed that. All right, so be careful if you're dealing with iBuzzer. I'm pretty sure it doesn't work. Okay, moving on. Uh, let's talk some real world real world racers. Uh, IndyCar, they put up a, a twit, a Twitter, uh, the actual IndyCar series, uh, showing their Indy 500 champion, champion Alexander Rossi, uh, getting some laps on iRacing. It looks like it was a trade show, uh, some kind of trade show they were at. But um, it's always interesting to see, you know, these real, real race car drivers uh, getting it on on iRacing. Well, once again, it's just a uh, a testament to what iRacing has to offer. Uh, you know, if you've got these real-world drivers that are coming in and turning laps, uh, I mean, yeah, there's only so much that they're going to learn, but iRacing does such a phenomenal job that it's enough for those guys to, uh, to warm up and, and get laps and get familiarized with, with breaking points and whatnot. So, uh, you know, it's just a testament to the uh, quality of product that iRacing's putting out. That's what I've been saying for a lot of things. Uh, I think, hands down, the best oval sim out there. I would have to say road, though, for our... That's just my opinion. Yep. Well, yes and Until no. Until the new tire model. Right. I, I, uh, I won't disagree with you there. Um... I think, you know, that the two different services have their their peaks and their valleys. But, uh, you know, iRacing, as far as those two different titles are concerned, uh, iRacing works more closely with the sanctioning bodies for these different series than the other title. And I think that's where they have the advantage. Yep. That and the tracks are laser scanned. Well, and it, well, you get people like Denny Hamlin that's been on the service through the off-season here. I mean, he's not running R-Factor. He's running iRacing. Yeah, but, I, you know, I'm not going to take away from Carlos's comment because he, he is right. They, they both offer uh, different things. But, uh, yeah, Hamlin's definitely been pretty busy uh, in the off-season here on iRacing as of late. Well, the best thing to be, I think, 
if someone could eventually in the future combine every sim together, I think we'd have the best product in the world. Right, well, Where that's we? been my argument for a long time. You know, how is it that our factor was able to do day-night transition years ago and, you know, on a lot less than what iRacing is working with? And, you know, iRacing's kind of late to the party still. I mean, you know, our factor has rain. And, right. Uh, iRacing's I a little late to the party on those things. They are. That's true. But the big thing for iRacing is it's multi, you know, multiplayer racing. That's what the biggest attraction is. It's fun. It's more fun to race against real people than it is to race pro program cars. Right. Well, I'd, I'd say the, uh, the, the tracks being laser scanned, the, uh, the physics... That they're they're based off of uh, real world cars. I, I know some of the the R factor stuff gets into that a little bit, but not in the uh, the detail that I racing goes into. All right, Jeff, what's next? Uh, the new look of Phoenix International Raceway. Man, what this is my home track too, and boy, they are really making some changes. They've announced, uh, I think it was last week, uh, officially, uh, 200-something million dollar upgrade. They're basically uh, removing the front stretch grandstands completely, and that's going to turn into RV parking. They're going to extend the Bobby Allison stands that are in turn one and two to be further down through turn two. And uh, the biggest thing is they're going to move the start-finish line to be over in turn two. Makes no sense. Awful, in my opinion. Move it at least to the middle between the dog leg and the turn three. You know? Yeah, put it on the back stretch. Yeah, so I, I, I just, I agree. It doesn't make any sense. I don't it's, understand that. Some people are just going to stay in the throttle, hit the wall, and try to win. They're not going to care. Yeah, why, yeah well, I need to slow down to make this turn, but the start finish is, a, you know, 50 yards in front of me. Just pull a Carl Edwards, just throw it in there and hit the wall and win. Right, as long as you cross <laughs> the line first, right? Yep. That's the one thing I don't like. I get kind of what they're going for to make it more trialable. But, yeah, they messed up badly on that. It's like a and, reverse Talladega. Right. And and so the the infield, they're completely tearing everything down and starting over. Everything. And so there'll be a completely new pit road that goes through turns one and two. There's going to be a fan zone there, much like uh, Las Vegas. You know, in Las Vegas, the fans can go up on the roof of the garages and look down into the garages. So it'll be something similar to that where the fans can get super close. I kind of applaud Phoenix for doing this, you know, because, uh, you know, Phoenix, the... Uh, the, the fall race that's right there in you know playoff time so uh i'm i'm happy to see you know phoenix making changes to uh you know accommodate a a better environment for the one of those pressure packed races i don't agree with the start finish line location that's the most awkward finish line location i've ever seen on any sort of oval but uh I like the steps that they're taking otherwise. It was long overdue. I mean, the stands desperately needed an upgrade. 
I think overall this is going to lower the amount of seating. They are going to add a second tunnel. Uh, there already is one tunnel over in turn three or turn four. I'm not sure where the second tunnel is going to be, but apparently there will be a second tunnel. The track itself is not changing. Uh, it's just everything around it and in, inside of it. And they would have probably changed the track if they didn't just repave it. Right. Now, how many seats are you guys going to lose at Phoenix, Mike? Any idea? Well, if you look back to, you know, the early 90s, and compared to that, we used to put 150,000 people around this track when NASCAR was in its heyday. We had stands along the backstretch. You had the Rattlesnake Hill over in turn three and four. You know, you put 20,000 people over there. You had stands all along the front and around turn one and two. So it used to be pretty much all the way around. And they've gradually have taken those out. Uh, there's no more back, uh, backstretch stands. Now they're getting rid of the front stretch stands. And they're, all the seating is going to be in the turns one and two. Hey, you know, Which, uh, Richmond, I think it's silly. Richmond got rid of all their backstretch stains, too. It's definitely something they're doing industry-wide because they can't fill the seats, so let's get rid of them. Yeah, and well, then cost money to get rid of them, too. Yeah, so I don't really understand that. I don't understand that because what if NASCAR takes off again? You know, and they do bring out 150,000 people. Don't they need those seats, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, do you want, you know, a few thousand empty seats? Or do you want, you know, to be sold out, packed, and not have no place to put anybody? I, I, I take the empty seats because they're, they're not costing you anything if they're sitting there empty. I mean, yeah, they're empty and you're not making that money. But... If you get to a point where you have to expand and put more seats back in, well, you just spent all that money to demo all those seats on the front stretch, and then you got to put more back in. It's silly. Well, I heard somebody talking about now. Remember, on the front stretch, they're going to remove those and they're going to put in RV parking that is on uh, steps. So there'll be some premium RV parking overlooking the track. And I wonder if they're getting more revenue from the RV parking than they would if they put butts in those stands. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, at Bristol, I think it's 250 or $300. They're doing a, a late model race at Bristol this year around May called the U.S. Nationals. They're looking at $300 per RV for two days. That's not bad. I mean, you know, so, I mean, you're going to be at Phoenix. What are you going to do now? Okay, when you get to the Winnebago's, where are you going to start your breaking points? You know what I mean? Right. Well, it'll be interesting. Uh, so that's happening this year. Uh, I imagine iRacing will have to rescan this once that's done. And... All right, next up, uh, let's finish up. We only have a couple left here iRacing uh, decides to sponsor Clint Boyer Racing in 2017 in the Lucas Oil Dirt Late, Late Model Series. So partnering, partnering up with Clint Boyer in a couple different ways. Uh, you know, initially, uh, his was the first uh, Dirt Late Model that we scanned uh, for the upcoming Dirt release. And now it looks like, uh, you know, iRacing is actually going to sponsor his car. And I am not the least bit surprised it goes back to that uh invest versus uh return 
you know, uh, iRacing's, you know, put so much into it without a return as of yet. So, you know, they want to start advertising iRacing now that they've got dirt. So they've got to uh, start advertising and appealing to the, uh, the dirt side of things so they can uh, get new members. You know, it's a, a smart business move to do that. I mean, yeah. you look you look at how many people go to a dirt track, and you know I really didn't know about iRacing um, for a long time, and then I found out about it. Now you're going to have a placard on his car going to the dirt tracks. People are like, oh, you know, they're going to ask questions. Well, what's iRacing? I'm like, oh, it's an online racing simulator. Boom, signed up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it's going to work. <laughs> yeah, it was a good move on iRacing's part with the with dirt. Well, yeah, if anybody's going to buy iRacing because of dirt, it's going to be the people that go to those races. Right, exactly. Yep. All Which right. I think is great. I will bring, it's going to bring in, you know, uh, new faces to iRacing. And, you know, I'm all about meeting new people. You know, that's, that's first and foremost one of the reasons why I enjoy iRacing is the people. So it, it works out great. All right, let's jump into the final story. Uh, iRacer Bono Huis has scored a Formula E test, uh, basically by the connections he made during the Visa Formula E sim race that we had a few weeks ago. Uh, he did really well there, and somehow that's led to a real-world uh, test, you know, in a, in a proper race car. So congratulations to Bono. Uh, there was a video uh, by Simpit uh, about it that was on the forums uh, where they had some shots of him in the car and, and driving around. It looks pretty cool. Yeah, congratulations to, uh, to Bono for sure. Uh, it, once again, it goes to show what, what iRacing is capable of. You know, this isn't the first story we've heard of, of something like this happening. And, you know, uh, starting out young, on iRacing is, is not a bad way to go and before you know it you might end up uh, following your dreams and in ways that you didn't think were possible yeah I mean somebody saw hey he's he's really talented in the sim car let's put him in a real car and see what happens you know yeah you know uh, another thing you know our, our team has been working with Motec and and all of this here lately it almost I almost wonder if maybe uh, down the road we don't get uh, crew chiefs and race engineers out of iRacing. You know, I see that as a, a possibility of something like that happening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same, you know, you can make the same changes on uh, a, sprint, a sim car that you can do a real race car and they would behave the same. Right, exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think it's not a matter of if, but when, you know, we see that happening, you know, because you you've got guys that are in i racing for you know five, six, six plus years now, so uh, I think it's, it's definitely a strong possibility, of a crew chief or an engineer coming from i racing, just a matter of time. Yep. All right, let's jump into final thoughts. Carlos, what do you got? Nothing. Nothing. All right. <laughs> Nothing. Jeff Walton, how about you? 
Uh, yeah, I'm getting more and more excited every time I keep seeing these pictures of the dirt showing up. Can't wait for it to get here. All right, Dave Smith. Yeah, the uh, the excitement for uh, for dirt is real. Uh, once again, a uh, big shout out to uh, Matt Busa, John Hammer, and the community. Uh, iRacing for all of us coming together and, and making those changes to the uh, the NIS season. Uh, I'm looking forward to it now. My heart was a little bit broken there for uh, a couple hours, but we're, we're, we're back on track and uh, just uh, happy to get going. Yeah, and I think that's where my final thoughts will pick up is there's a lot of effort put into the NIS, and you can look at our team as an example. Uh, team Tafosi, we got a bunch of new recruits. We have a full house of drivers, and, and as you mentioned, we're now uh, adventuring off into telemetry, and it's very heartening to see uh, our team, you know, embracing this telemetry, getting ready for the Daytona 500, uh, coming up with sets. And we're not just working on Daytona. We're working on sets for other tracks, too, in preparation for the season. And we're taking it serious. I mean, and we're a serious team, even though we don't have uh, racers with the I rating that is, really can compete to go to pro yet. We definitely have some caliber, some guys of that caliber that can get there, especially with the support that we're, we're putting in place to back them up. So I'm really excited about the NIS season. Uh, I also was heartbroken Thursday morning uh, when, when uh, iRacing announced these NASCAR schedule changes that uh, basically would have killed the series. Um, and I'm so glad that they put it back the way it was. So... Kudos to, I, to iRacing to getting that done correctly. At the end of the day, they did do the right thing there. So uh, that's my final thoughts. And with that, we'll see you later. See ya. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to us at our YouTube channel at iRacers Lounge. Follow on Twitter and Facebook at iRacers Lounge and SoundCloud at iRacers Lounge. See you on the track. Thank you.